0: Good morning. Well, this morning we continue in our series in the book of Daniel. So we are in Daniel chapter 2, and this morning we're going to focus in on God's answer to Daniel's prayer. You're going to see that Daniel was a man of prayer, and God is a faithful God. Amen? As we look at today's study, we're not even going to get into the prophecy until next week. We're just going to look at the first half of the chapter because there's so many wonderful lessons right there. The first being that God answers prayer. Anthony talked about it as he was leading worship today. We know that God answers prayer. We don't even know how it works. We just know that he does answer prayer. And as we think about being men and women of prayer, what we're really saying, well, we're saying so many things, but what we're really saying is we trust God. We trust God. You know, so many of us who say, oh, yeah, we have to pray about it. We may actually pray about it. And we may actually go to God and ask him to do those things. But in our hearts, do we really believe that God can do anything? Do do you believe God can do anything? Say amen. amen. God can do anything. God, in fact, let me go so far as to say you can pray about everything. But God can do anything. So if there's something that you're praying about, and you're thinking, well, I know God can do it, but I just got this feeling that he won't do it, that's really not praying in faith. Unless, of course, what you're asking God to do would be not in according to his will, or not according to his word. So as we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us, and we know that we have what we asked of him. That's what the scripture tells us, that as we ask anything in the name of Jesus, That is, according to who he is in his character, we have what we asked of him. God answers prayer, and we're going to see in Daniel's life that he came to God with a big ask. He asked for something miraculous. He asked for something that none of us would probably even dare to ask God, knowing that he can do anything, but thinking for a minute, he might not do this. But I want you to know probably the greatest example that Daniel had when he walked on this earth, and we saw this last week, he was a godly man, but he was also a man of prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, we desire to be men and women of prayer. And as we pray, may we pray in accordance with your will, and may we have the confidence in knowing that as we pray according to your will, we don't have to wonder whether or not you desire to meet Our needs. We don't have to wonder whether or not you will act according to your perfect will. We simply need to submit our hearts to you, knowing that in all things you will be glorified according to your word, according to your will, and for our blessing and your glory. Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts today through the study of your word, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read the first 13 verses, and we'll get a good feel for what was taking place here. In chapter 2 of the book of Daniel, in verse 1, we read that in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep, so the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, "Uh, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive for me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Well, once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Well, the astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Well, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. You know, I remember when I was a kid, and my brother will remember this, my brothers will, two that I grew up with, that if one of us got in trouble, it didn't matter where the other one was, he got in trouble too. You could be up in your room and minding your own business, and if my dad got worked up, you were getting it no matter what. There was no justice. And you'd try to say, well, dad, we didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. He goes, yeah, but you will. That's a little Italian-American justice for you. Poor Daniel and his friends, they're just sort of doing their thing, you know. They haven't done anything wrong, and apparently they weren't even involved with this conversation. They just heard about it afterward that they were going to be put to death because the enchanters, magicians, and astrologers couldn't do what the king was asking. Now, when someone asks you to interpret a dream and they tell you the dream, you can make up all kinds of stuff. I mean, really, you can. And people do. And by the way, I might want to just point this out, that in God's Word, we learn that going to magicians, enchanters, and astrologers is problematic. For one thing, you are opening yourself up to get ripped off financially. Okay. Secondly, you are opening yourself up to the spiritual realm, because many of the individuals who claim to be able to do these things are possessed or at least controlled by or influenced by evil spirits, by demons. So you're actually opening yourself up to someone saying something to you or interpreting something or influencing you who's being influenced by wickedness and evil spirits. You want that in your life? You know, so many people that go to, let's say, a fortune teller or tarot card reader or an occultist, let's just say an occultist, because that's someone that... Practices the dark arts, and we call that that because a lot of it, to be to be frank, a lot of it's just bunk. A lot of it's just con men and con women, but not all of it. Some of it is people who are in touch with evil spirits. So imagine you go, you're down that boardwalk for whatever reason. I always used to see these things down the boardwalk, and you walk into this little little hut basically, and and you get your palm red. Or you and I highly recommend you not even think about it. I walk the other way. But if you go in there and you open yourself up, you have no idea what kind of influence could be in your life. People have gone to these soothsayers or these astrologers and people have told them, these people, these con people, have told them they should marry this person or they should take this job. and, And I guarantee that whatever's going on, that influence isn't for God and it's not for good. So first of all, let me just say, you definitely don't want to ask those types of people for advice or counsel. Go to God's Word. Amen? Well, what happened here is Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and, and I've had dreams. Even this week I had a few dreams, and I wonder, I wonder whether God was speaking to me through those dreams. In fact, I'm pretty convinced two of them were probably, that was probably the case. But, you know, you have to test the spirits. You can't always just, oh, I had a dream about somebody, and, you know, oh, and you were there, and you were there, you know, and all of a sudden, you know you're making decisions based on a silly dream that really has more to do with what you ate before you went to bed. We don't want to do that, but sometimes I'll have a dream and I'll say, you know, I feel like God is trying to tell me something and I'll pray about it. And sometimes God will show me that that dream was revealing to me something that I needed to know about myself or maybe something about someone else so that I could help them and minister to them. That happens occasionally. It may happen for you as well. But Nebuchadnezzar had this troubling dream. And what he's going to do is he's going to use this really troubling dream to put the wise men of Babylon to the test. He's invested a lot of money in these guys. He feeds them. He pays them. He cares for them. And he's got a lot of them. And it's an expense. And so he's probably thinking, you know what? I'm going to see if these guys really are worth their weight in salt. I want to see if they really are capable of doing what I pay them to do. So this was his second year. This was Daniel's third year of service. uh, and, And Nebuchadnezzar desired wisdom and the ability to understand the meaning of a dream. And Daniel had that gift, but he didn't go to Daniel. He just sort of went to the astrologers and the enchanters. So he summons them. They all claim to have the ability to interpret dreams. And by the way, in the scriptures, you'll see this, kings often summon their counselors when they require wisdom. In fact, the book of Proverbs says that, you know, there's safety in a multitude of counselors or advisors, and that before kings go to war, they will consult their advisors. And that means that when you're making big decisions, it's not necessarily a bad thing to ask for counsel and advice. But he went to the wrong source. And as we get into verse 4 of this chapter, there's a switch, there's a change in the narrative in that the language that this book was written in starts in Hebrew in chapter one, and then right up to chapter two, verse three. After verse three, starting in verse four, and all the way through the end of chapter seven, the book is now written in Aramaic. It's a different language. It's the language that Jesus actually spoke. It was an international language, and it pertains to all people. So everyone would be able to read Aramaic of that day was a sort of an international language of commerce and communication whereas Hebrew was not. Hebrew was specifically for the Jews. So these men that were spoken to by Nebuchadnezzar they very nicely offered to interpret the dream on one condition. He had to tell them what he had dreamed and I think any reasonable person would say well yeah I mean you got to tell me the dream. I, I can't know what you dreamed. Someone came to me and they said, I had a dream last night. Tell me what it is. I said, I have no idea. And ultimately, that's what happened. But see, he was determined to use this dream to prove their supernatural ability. You got to figure, if these guys are claiming to have supernatural ability, then they should be able to, if they have supernatural ability to interpret a dream, then they should be able to prove to the king They have that ability by telling him what his dream was. That's his thinking. And it's actually a pretty good way of thinking. It's kind of like that guy that said, if anyone here has telekinetic powers, please raise my hand. (laughs) So he may have begun to question their abilities or their usefulness to him. He may have been using the opportunity to justify their considerable expense, expense. But for whatever reason, he would destroy them if they failed, and reward them if they succeeded. Now imagine you go into work tomorrow and your, your boss gives you an absolutely unreasonable request. That's probably not hard for some of you guys. And basically says, well, if you have it done by the end of the day, you get a raise. If you don't, oh, I'm going to kill you and your whole family. That would be a little intimidating. Um, you might be a little upset. But the king of Babylon, unlike, unlike the later kings of Persia, had absolute power over his kingdom. He could decide to do something like this, and it was done. Immense, incredible, absolute power Nebuchadnezzar had. So Nebuchadnezzar's frustrated. You'll find that he had a bit of a temper. He was frustrated, very dissatisfied with their inabilities. And as these men repeated their offer to interpret the dream, if he told them what he had dreamed, he just became angrier and angrier. He knew that they were stalling for time and repeated that they would be destroyed if they failed. This is a tense moment. He knew if he told them the dream, they would just deceive him to save themselves. They weren't about to say, you know, that's a really tough one. I can't interpret that. They would make something up, and he knew that. So these men finally admitted, finally, in verse 10, they didn't have the supernatural ability to reveal his dream. They couldn't do it. They had no choice but to admit that. See, here's the problem. Let's say they said, I know what you dreamed." and They made it up and it wasn't the right answer. It's like, I'm thinking of a number between 1 and 10. What is it? You know? So they had no way of doing that. And so they're in a, they're in a heap of trouble. So they were proud. And they were offended. Because they really studied a lot in ways to fool people. And now they were outwitted by the king. He asked them to do the impossible. You know, God doesn't ask us to do the impossible. He asks us to allow him to do the impossible in and through our lives. Amen? And aren't you glad? Imagine if God said, well, you know, I'll help you out, but you got to walk on water. You walk on water, we're good. We would be in trouble, wouldn't we? No, he says to Peter, get out of the boat. And how was it that Peter was able to walk on water? It was God's work. It wasn't Peter. You might say, oh, but Peter had great faith. Well, that faith sunk after a little while. It really wasn't his faith that allowed him to walk on water. It was God's ability to do the impossible experienced through Peter's faith. See, faith just allows us to experience God's ability to do the impossible. You can't do the impossible by faith. No, God does the impossible as we exercise faith in him. See, a lot of people will tell you, if you just have faith, you can do anything. Well, if that were true, if that were legitimately true, would any of us ever get sick? Would any of us ever die? Would anyone here have any problems in their life? You know, sometimes people come in the back door. There's one particular person that came in and said, oh, it was a bad morning. It was a tough morning. You know, just a difficult morning. I said, well, the the good news is it's only going to get better from here now that you're at church. You know, the, the thing is, you and I, we need to remember that our faith in God is what allows us to do the impossible. See, it's God. Just faith and faith will do nothing. Faith in your, got to have faith in yourself. Really? You have faith in yourself? Because I don't have faith in myself. Actually, I have faith that I will probably always get it wrong if I put my faith in myself. So I put my faith in God. and I know God can do anything. Say amen. And if God can do anything, then I trust God with everything. And it, that is exactly how we need to live in Christ and walk in him. So they were quite aware, these, these men who claimed at one point to do the impossible, but now I had to admit they couldn't. Uh, they were quite aware of their own limitations, that only a God could reveal the dream. See, only God knows your thoughts. David said, you know my thoughts from afar. You know all my ways. Search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Only God could do that. Was it Jeremiah said, it was actually God speaking through Jeremiah that our hearts are desperately wicked or deceitfully wicked. Above all things, who can know them? But he goes on to say, I know your heart. We don't know our own hearts. We don't even sometimes know our own thoughts, but God knows our thoughts from afar. That is, he knows them before we think them. We serve a mighty God. Well, this king realizes these guys, they're a bunch of phonies. Been paying them all this time. They've really just been making stuff up. And he's so angry that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. An immediate execution, really. Now, this man was well known for quickly losing his temper when not getting what he wanted. He's a big baby. And that happens to a person when they have absolute power. You ever seen a toddler? They have absolute power sometimes. They start to scream in a restaurant, and they can have all the candy they want. Some parents, not all. It's amazing how much power someone can wield when when they have it. And you know what's amazing? This king was a big baby. We're going to see it over and over again. He's so used to getting what he wanted that he lost his temper when he didn't. So his decree sentenced Daniel and his friends to death as well. And so now Nebuchadnezzar has decided to put the wise men of Babylon to the test. How will Daniel and his friends react? Well, Daniel reacts by deciding to put his faith in God to the test. And I want to encourage you to put your faith in God to the test. Put your faith in God to the test. How do we do that? You know, I remember when I took chemistry in high school. Not very good. Worst grade I ever got. I got a 67. Science was not my thing. And I remember experiments. And I remember the fact that my experiments didn't always work out the way I wanted them to. You know, the fluid or the liquid was supposed to turn green if I did it right, turn blue. Something's wrong. It exploded, probably not supposed to happen. But when you put your faith in God and you experiment with prayer, you're going to find out something. Pray according to God's will, and you're going to prove that God is faithful. Now, you don't need to prove God is faithful. God's faithful whether you decide to experiment with that or not God is faithful but when you pray and you ask God to work in your life and he does you're going to find out he's faithful we talked about this last week like giving you know you give faithfully as God leads you to give right and then all of a sudden your needs are met and you think you know maybe that promise in God's word is true that if I sow generously I reap generously and you think well if I trust God with my life I know that God will be faithful to protect me and keep me. We had a great opportunity these last two years to trust God with our lives. It's amazing, though, how many Christians couldn't. It was kind of sad, actually, how many churches closed down and how many churches just just wouldn't trust God. Now, I'm not saying anyone needed to be reckless, but there was just simply no way we weren't going to meet for fellowship because God has called us to do so. You know, I, I wonder sometimes if Christians really just took a moment and said, wait a minute, do I really believe this stuff? I read my Bible, I pray, I give, I serve. Oh, but no, I, I can't trust God with my health. And again, I'm not saying we were to be reckless. You know, you're cautious to a point, and then you say, you know what? If living means not serving God, then I'll say like Patrick Henry, <laughs> give me liberty or give me death. So I know that trusting God can be difficult at times. I don't want to minimize that. I know many of you have struggled, as I have, to trust God, especially when God is doing something we're not real happy about or not doing something we would like him to do. But eventually, you and I, we will get to a place where we have to trust God. If you're not there already, you will be there soon. So Daniel put his faith in God to the test. Again, I want to challenge you this week. The next time you face something you think is just beyond you and impossible, great. What a wonderful opportunity to put your faith in God to the test. And so we read in verses 14 through 18, and this is amazing, what a wonderful example. We read that when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him, notice, with wisdom intact. And he asked the king's officer, "Why did the king issue such a harsh decree?" Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel, and at this Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. And then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I love a man or a woman of initiative. Someone who takes the initiative, someone who says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to step up. My God has me in this place for a purpose. My God has blessed me, provided the gifts I need to be here, and I know he has a a work he wants to do in and through my life, so quite frankly, I'm just not going to accept that I'm going to be put to death for something I didn't have anything to do with. So I'm going to get involved, because according to God's will, I can get involved. I know God's will, Daniel might say, and I know it's not for me to be put to death or for my friends to be put to death for something ridiculous, something we didn't do. So we're going to have to put our faith in God to the test. In fact, Daniel put his trust in the faithfulness of God to preserve their lives. He used, notice, wisdom and tact. Wisdom and tact. Tact is knowing what to say. And discretion is knowing when to say it. And wisdom is the ability to understand timing and people. And have you ever noticed, some of you guys are a little wiser than others. Have you ever noticed when you're speaking to someone, you're reading their reaction? You're reading their face. You're saying something, the tone, the words, and you see the negative reaction or the positive reaction. So you adjust what you're saying, the way you're saying, the expression on your face while you're saying it. Wisdom intact. All of that is sort of a a knee-jerk reaction to the other person's reaction to what you're saying. And some people have it in spades. Some people really know how to communicate with people and be effective. And I'm not talking about speaking to a group because it's much harder to to do that with a group of people. But with an individual, you have to use wisdom intact because you're speaking to a person who has a preconceived notion about who you are and what you're saying and what your agenda is. You'll find that people who do sales generally have wisdom intact. They know how to say things, they know when to say it, and they can connect with people. Unfortunately, some use it to manipulate people, but generally what we're talking about here today is just the ability to connect with people and not so much manipulate, but motivate them to do the right thing. That was Daniel. And that's something, if you don't have that, you should probably work on. It really just requires looking and listening. By the way, I've noticed most people are looking down at their screens with their earbuds in. I was at a park yesterday with uh, my nephews. And some of the dads, some of the moms, but some of the dads were just tuned out. They weren't looking. They were looking at their screen And some of them had earbuds listening to music or maybe a phone call. I think to myself, it's very hard to use wisdom intact or even to be alert or aware of what's going on around you if you're not listening and you're not looking. So I'm going to challenge you. You ready for this? Talking wisdom intact? Maybe, just maybe, put the phone down once in a while. You know, it's amazing. Uh, Some of you guys know I study martial arts. So... I do kobito, which is weapons, right? So I'm out in the middle of my street. Not the middle of the street, but in front of my house in the street using weapons that would scare some people. They're not sharp, but they don't know that. So I'm out there with these weapons, and I'm thinking, man, my neighbors are going to, like, freak. The cops are going to get called. This is going to be, it's going to get ugly. You know, none of them even see me. Because they're walking their dogs like this. They walk right past me. I had one guy, Michelle. I'm so glad she was looking out the window when this happened. Guy's walking right toward me, listening to a book on tape with his phone right in front of him like this. And I only knew that because I could hear it. And he's walking right toward me. And I have sai. These are like daggers, okay? I have sai. If you guys know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm doing my thing. And a guy's walking right toward me. You're going to get killed, buddy. So I just stepped on the curb. I said, how How are you doing? didn't even hear me. My sigh would have been in his brain if, <laughs> through the eye socket if, the guy didn't, if I didn't look up and see what was going on. It really depresses me because, you see, I'm 57. I remember a time before a cell phone. Some of you guys know I've never had one. I never will. That means I listen and look. Because I know what's going on. Oh, how do you survive? Oh, my goodness. How did we survive for 2,000 years without them? You know, Or 6,000 years without them. You know, I say, I grew up, we used to have a phone. We didn't even have an answering machine. If somebody called and you weren't home, oh, I guess they're not home. It's fine with me. Then we got answering machines. Then we got the phones without the cords, right? And then we got these things called cell phones. And people can reach you at any time. Why? Why is that so important? Can I ask? Okay, maybe if you're on call, you're, you're a doctor, you, you have emergencies, oh, I get that. But seriously? Are we so important that we can't be alert and alive to what's going on around us? I see it all the time. And I'm going to tell you something. If you want to have wisdom intact and understanding, spiritual understanding of what's going on in this world, you have to tune in, not tune out. So I've been challenging people. Say, listen, if you have to have a cell phone or you want to have a cell phone, just turn it off and listen to your messages. How about that? Some people can't do it. I imagine a number of people in here would think, oh, my goodness, what church did I walk into? I knew he was going to talk about sin, but this? Wisdom intact requires you to be alert. It requires you to be tuned into the other person, to make eye contact, to know what's going on as best as you can, discern what's going on in their hearts. The only way that happens is if you're looking and you're listening. So Daniel does this. And by the way, speaking with wisdom and tact is the result of living a life of prayer it really is as a christian if you live a life of prayer you will have the necessary wisdom and tact that you need how do i know that well bill when he was doing announcements today quoted from james if any man lacks wisdom or woman let him ask of god who gives to all men and women generously liberally without measure he also was bold. He boldly asked Nebuchadnezzar for the time necessary to interpret his dream. He, he, he didn't wait. He said, I, I, wait, okay, I'm going to see the king. Walked right. You could get killed for something like that. Walked right. Oh, he's going to get killed anyway. What's the, what's the point? What's the difference? Walks right into the king and asks for time to do what he asked the other guys to do. Now, I don't know Nebuchadnezzar's reaction, but I must, it must have been, wow, this guy's got some chutzpah comes in here, he's, he's promising to be able to do, or at least willing to try. You know what? That's pretty cool. So everything calmed down a little bit while Daniel went to prayer. And you see, speaking with boldness is also the result of living a life of faith. As you live out your faith, you will be bold in the things you say. Now, not brash, but bold. That is, you'll actually believe the things you tell people, And you'll stand up and know that God is faithful, and you'll speak boldly. So he offered to both tell the king his dream and to interpret it. And then he did something very important. He pleaded with God. You ever made a promise, you know, you just kind of say, oh yeah, we could take care of that, and you say, how are we going to do this? I just promised we could do this. Well, Daniel knew his God was mighty. He knew he had nothing to lose, but he knew God would never be anything but faithful. And so he tells his friends, We got to plead to God. We got to plead with God for mercy. We got to plead with God that Nebuchadnezzar would be merciful. But we got to plead with God that he'll be merciful and reveal Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation so that we're not put to death. So he lists his friends to pray, another good practice to get into. When you enlist your friends to pray, they'll keep you accountable in prayer. I think probably the greatest impact of asking others to pray for you is you being kept accountable to pray. See, because if you say, pray for me, I have this job interview tomorrow, and then your friends are sending you little texts, which you should be reading not while you're driving, or walking the dog, or walking past my house, Little text that says, praying for you, brother, let me know how the interview goes. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right, i got to pray. We're built up in prayer as we pray for others. It's okay, you know, sometimes we need to be reminded to pray. So if you're thinking, I need prayer. You're thinking, well, ah, God's going to do whatever God's going to do, whether I pray or not. You know, that may even be true, but that's not the point of prayer, is it? C.S. Lewis said, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Do you need to be changed? That is, is your heart sometimes doubting God? Do you forget to pray? Do you forget to reach out to God? So asking others to pray for you helps build up your faith, and it also helps build up the faith of others. So that's what he did. And praying to God for mercy, oh, that's the result of living a life of humility. Because when you ask for God to show you mercy, you recognize you need God's mercy. And only humble people know they need God's mercy. Do you need God's mercy today? Amen. Or are you proud? Well, Daniel received the revelation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation in a vision that night. That as he goes to sleep, and we'll see in a minute, he actually has the same dream. Imagine that. Except that he also receives the interpretation in the dream. So he gets the director's cut of the vision. Because he not only gets the dream, he gets the interpretation of the dream. And here's what we read. That during the night, in verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God, my fathers, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you, and you have made known to us the dream of the king. Wow, what a way to wake up. Praising God for him answering their prayers in his sleep. I think there's a little lesson there. You see, you can be at perfect rest once you've prayed to God. You can go to sleep. Oh, I was up all night thinking about this job interview. Well, did you pray? Yeah, that's what I was doing all night. He gives sleep to those he loves, the scripture tells us. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Psalm 127 says he gives sleep to those he loves. If you really trust God, you should sleep like a baby. Well, not all babies sleep through the night, but you should sleep like a baby. You should be able to just go to sleep and say, you know what? I've prayed. I trust God. I have no anxiety about it because God is faithful. Amen? You go to sleep, you wake up, and before you even open your eyes, the... Prayers are answered. Now, in this particular case, there was a bit of a priority on this prayer being answered. But even if it's weeks, even if it's months, even if it's years, a lifetime, you can trust that God is faithful and sleep through the night. Now, I say the three things you really need to do to maintain health is, of course, sleep, very important, eat right, very important, and what's the other Exercise, move, get your body moving. You do those things, you're going to be a lot healthier than if you don't. And so many people that oh, I have no time to sleep. I got to get to the gym. Well, that doesn't make sense. You need to rest. And he rested in God, knowing God was faithful. So he received this revelation. Now, remember, God spoke to Jacob in a dream. God spoke to his son Joseph through dreams. Daniel. I'm guessing, from what he describes, and we'll see this next week, again, had the very same dream as Nebuchadnezzar while he slept. And what did he do when he woke up? He praised God, and he called God the God of heaven. The God of heaven. I want to explain why that term is used at this time in Israel's history. He uses this title instead of the more common, Lord of the whole earth. The reason is, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and the book of Revelation, this title is used is because after the fall of Jerusalem, they used to say the God of heaven to depict God as removed from his people. See, when the presence of God was over the tabernacle, why call him the God of heaven? He's the Lord of the whole Earth. When the presence was over the presence of God, the Shekinah glory was over the temple. Why would you say the God of heaven? He's right there, or his presence is there. He's the Lord of the whole Earth. But when, and we see this in the book of Ezekiel, Israel fell to Babylon, and before that the presence of God was taken from the temple, and the Shekinah glory of God went back up into heaven, they started to call God the God of heaven. It doesn't diminish him because he's the God of heaven and earth, but it was a way of looking at God and recognizing that there was a time where God was present with them, through the Shekinah glory of God, the Kabbad, the weight of God's glory. But that day had passed, and they were, they were now in exile. And that's why they use the term, the God of heaven. So he praised God for doing what? For answering his prayers and the prayers of his friends. Let's just look at the prayer real briefly. In verses 20 through 22, I want, to, I want you to point out, this is a praise prayer. They had already prayed for God to answer their prayer. You remember that already. They went to prayer before they went to sleep. And they trusted God to answer that prayer. But this prayer is the best kind of prayer. It's the praise report. Now, I will tell you, having been in ministry for over 35 years, I get a lot of prayer requests. I get very, very few praise reports. You know why that is? Because when the prayer is answered, people are like, oh, praise God, and they move on. I'm gonna One more challenge I'm going to give you is that if you ask someone to pray and their faith is built up and your faith is built up in prayer, have the decency to call them or email them or even text them and tell them, oh, brother, sister, thank you for praying. I got the job. Or, you know what, I didn't get the job, but I trust that God has another job for me. There's a way to share the praise of God even when things don't work out the way you wanted them to. I think, again, we have to learn to communicate that. It builds up people's faith. See, my faith is built up. If I pray for someone to get better and they get better, Whoa, my faith is built up. If they don't tell me, I don't know. But let's say they don't get better. They get worse. My faith is still built up when the person calls me and says, Pastor, you know, I know you prayed for me and it looks like God is not going to heal me in the way that I wanted, but I'm still trusting God to work in and through this sickness in my life And God is faithful. That builds up my faith. Maybe, in some ways, even more so. Think about that. God doesn't always answer prayer the way we want him to, but he always answers prayer. And we need to share that. Well, he gave all the glory to God for who he is, just for who he is. For his wisdom and his power over mankind. For his sovereignty, which is the theme of this book, God's sovereignty. His sovereignty over mankind. His grace. His unmerited favor, his unconditional love. His grace and his gifts. By the way, when we talk about spiritual gifts in the New Testament, the word in Greek is charismas. It means God's grace. The graces, if you will, the grace. The gifts of God for his knowledge and all things hidden from mankind which are not hidden from God. And then he does the most important thing you can do when praying after you've prayed for God to work in your life. He gave thanks to God for answering prayer, for giving him wisdom and power, which he did, for giving him knowledge and revelation, which he did. And as I ask Anthony to come up and as we prepare to receive communion, I want to leave you with this thought. To pray for God to answer you and not praise him when he does is probably the highest form of ingratitude. Learn to pray, learn to praise. Learn to thank God as much as ask God to work in your life. And share that truth and the truth that you experience through prayer as you put your faith in God to the test. Learn to share that with others that you might be built up in your most holy faith. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are so grateful that you have given us the ability to communicate with you in prayer, which can sometimes just bring peace. We may not even need to ask for anything. Just experience your peace because being in your presence provides the peace that transcends all understanding. As we make our requests known to you, You guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus with that peace that passes all understanding. You give us a joy unspeakable that can't even be described. And this happens as we communicate with you. And so may in this first half of chapter 2, as we've learned that you answer prayer, may we learn to pray to trust you and then learn to praise you as we grow in our relationship with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.